HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Taja Dockendorf, founder and chief creative director of Pulp and Wire an award-winning consumer packaging, branding, and digital agency. Pulp & Wire produces brands, packaging, and web and digital solutions that are both visually compelling and rooted in functionality and effectiveness. Taja and her team have worked on projects for iconic brands like Petco, Magnolia Bakery, and Bob's Red Mill, as well as innovative brands like Vermont Creamery, Soom, and Rhine Snacks. Pulp and & Wire and Taja have won numerous awards for their culture, leadership, innovation, brand development, and packaging design. In addition to leading Pulp & Wire, Taja is the host of the Brand Alchemist podcast, a bi-weekly podcast that I was on. Ooh. Is it, did that publish yet? It did. Yeah. Yes, it did. It came out a few weeks ago. It was great. You were, you were amazing. <laughs> Thank you. That highlights brand owners and their journeys in the CPG space and a writer on leadership and culture for publications including Forbes, Fast Company, Entrepreneur, and Insider. Taja, I'm so happy you're here and welcome. Thanks, Allie. Pleasure to be on and excited to talk to you about all things design, CPG, whatever you want to cover. I'm here for it. Yeah. You know, I was listening to one of the podcasts that you were on sort of as I was doing my little prep work. And there are two things that are really groovy about you. One is just your love and enthusiasm for consumer packaged goods. And the way that that translates, I guess this is part duh, into not just pretty packaging or cool content or a nice logo, but the way that your love of functionality, because I think one, you're such a consumer and two, your, your, your background seems to be grounded 
in industrial design or at least functional design from my understanding. That's different from a lot of stuff that we see now. Those two things I think are like, it's like the art and the science and the left brain and the right brain. And that's what makes you, I think, very special and fun to talk to. Thank you. Yeah, I attribute a lot of that to my parents. My father is an industrial organizational psychologist and my mother is a dance teacher. Perfect. So, <laughs> both sides of the brain definitely coming together. Um, happy to give you a little bit of background. That would be helpful. Yeah, but also, can before you do that, can you just tell me what exactly your father's like day to day work looks like? Like, what is yeah? What does all that mean? He's he's a consultant for Harvard now. He does a lot with um, leadership development. And when I was younger, it was a lot of HR and personality testing. So making mm. sure that people who are working for the jobs, or he would be hired by a corporation to look at the team and make sure mm -hmm. that the team was functioning at the highest capacity possible. Mm. And if they weren't, figure out what their strengths and traits were and move them into positions that would make that company more effective. Right. So, so much of that, I, without even knowing, I do today. <laughs> yeah. No, that's so cool. I There is something that that just reminded me of because it's, you know, we do all of those tests, you know, like mm -hmm. if you were an animal or like what's yeah. your Myers-Briggs or your Enneotype or are you a driver? Or are you an analytic, you know? <laughs> and we're all kind of like, and then what? Right. You know, okay, so you're a wolf and you're a kitten great. Now we got to figure out, you know, what to do with that, you know, and that's where experts, uh, I would imagine come in. Well, and one of, one of my favorite tests, cause there's so many of those that you can take is that one that I still have my team take and I mm -hmm. took, oh my gosh, like 12, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And it still holds true is the strengths finder test. Um, mm -hmm. there's tw like 35 strengths in the world, but you only have five. And that doesn't uh -huh. mean there aren't 30 others that you could be good at. It just right. means own your five, maximize yeah. your five. And I love that because then you can look at another team member in a role that's complementary to your strengths and they're mm -hmm. complementary to yours and you can be magical together. Yeah. Yeah. So it, that's the, those are the kind of strengths I like. Not that I don't love being, you know, a peacock one day or possibly, you know, right. a, a phoenix the next. I always get otter. <laughs> otter. I always get sea otter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know. They they look very cuddly, so I guess that's a good thing. I, I got a fire uh, ant the other day when I put it in animal spirit. <laughs> and I was like, well, that feels that feels right. And that's all I'm <laughs> I don't think that's very nice. I mean, they're industrious and they're amazing, and they're probably like the most magical creatures on the planet. <laughs> but not that cute. For the day, it was what I needed. I was like, all, all right. right, scrappy, get it right. done, fire Here we go. Let's do it. <laughs> fire ant. Um, so, you know, bef I guess even without background, it, you know, I think I, I showed you my draft. Um, you have your website is so perfect for my brain. <laughs> like, and maybe that's because it is as organized as it is, but I think it's a little unusual for a creative web, you know, branding team to have this, like, you know, you have this almost like a timeline or, you know, I don't know what the proper word is where there are these stages to the way that you work with clients mm -hmm. and it goes discover, brand, create, package, design, buzz, market, place, measure. And when you click on it, it tells you exactly what the process is in each one of those things. 
which is really freaking cool, I have to say, because the process itself can be a little bit opaque. I don't know that anyone's really taken the time to do that. And it was actually the way that I guided the way that I wrote my draft for you, because it's almost like the flow from the first call through execution and, and how, how, how what you've created for a brand works or where it needs to be tweaked. I love a good linear approach. Yes. Yes. And so, you know, I'd love to spend a couple of minutes on background, but then I really want to get into just like all the things that you wish that you could tell all of the founders and all of the marketing people and all of the branding and sales people <laughs> and all of the operations and logistics people. Like, this is it. Oh my gosh. How much time do we have? <laughs> we have 50 minutes. <laughs> Five zero. Okay. So that's why background, like, okay, let's do a little background, but people can also read if they want to. They totally can. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let me, I'm going to give a little bit of a high level background and then yeah. I'll kind of take it in chunks and then you okay. can... You can guide me into the next section we need to talk about. Perfect. Excellent. So my background is as a creative. Um, To to what you said, I started off my career as an industrial designer, love cars, still do. For me, it was automotive design because I loved an immersive experience. When you sit in a car for the first time, old or new, it doesn't matter. There is a touch, a feel, even a taste. It's a full body experience. Yes. And I love that. That was for me, got me, it was my passion. I was like, I love this immersive experience. So I was initially industrial design and then I moved over into graphic design, left art school, went to a liberal arts school, was given a great opportunity there and really fell in love with graphic design at the time. Now I'm going to age myself in the late nineties, early two thousands, when Adobe creative suite was just coming into action and play. And I learned that there was so much we could do digitally that was going to be amazing. And I could switch gears. I didn't need to be automotive because as a female in the automotive industry, it wasn't my future. It wasn't my path. It was just, it was, it was a very male dominated industry still is graphic design had a different path for me. And I'm glad I made that switch. Um, as a lot of things I write about, you know, the things that we learn and the failures that we have along the way are the, those that shape us. And very much this, that was one of those situations, deciding to give up one idea for another was one that, you know, very much shaped me into moving into this path. Yeah. No, that really tracks. That's cool. So fast forward, I worked for agencies, um, creative director, art director, designer, every realm. And I realized the old school agency was not something that I loved. I did not want to be siloed. I didn't want the brand manager only talking to the client and then telling me exactly what needed to happen. I was a, I was a strategist as a creative. And I knew that I wasn't alone in this. I'm not the only strategist creative in the world. There was a better way of doing things. So I created ultimately my company, putting the creative at the center of the process with the clients that we could hear each other, we could work with each other, we could explore the opportunity and we could think strategically together versus a siloed approach. But as as a designer, I love to make pretty things. As a, you know, optimist, I see the, the potential and the positivity in what brands could be. And as kind of the, a creative clairvoyant, I can see where they could be in five years. I yeah. can understand how they're going to get there, but mm-hmm. brands don't always understand that. So we have to create a roadmap. So to your point, the linear approach that you are seeing on our website, and I'm glad you loved our website because we're in the midst of redoing it, but that <gasps> feature might be one I need to keep now. So I appreciate that. I mean, I, you know... I, I actually, in our last team meeting, I shared the whole website with the whole team because ah. I love the memes. Oh, I, I, I mean, that was just fun. 
I loved how you laid it all out. I think people before you change it should take, you know, we're going to do this little quick fire at the end, which is like totally not something that I do on this pod, but I it got the, all those words, the way that you're like, okay, what is design? What is strategy? What is discovery? You know, you have, it's all broken out there. And it's actually for a small team, if you don't have, you know, a lot of structure around who does what and what, what means, you could literally just take your website and say, okay, who's doing this? Who's doing that? Who's doing this? Who's doing that? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's that, it's, it's that functional. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> so, okay. Well, you'll tell me about what you're changing it to. Cause I'm sure it's going to be cool. It'll but, be great. Still right. very easy to use, but yes, we have a lot to say, but we yes. want to make sure it's in manageable bite-sized pieces because truthfully right. people don't want to read a lot anymore. Yes, that's true. I did want to read a lot well, I, and I went down a rabbit hole. I appreciate two. you for mm-hmm. that. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Well, I did my research. Um, so, so yeah, go, so carry on. Cause then I want to get back to the car thing. Cause I think that's oh, actually kind of everything. Yeah. It, it's, it's definitely the, the grounding principle of a lot of things mm-hmm. that I believe in, especially with CPG. Mm-hmm. But you know, as I grew as a designer, it wasn't just about making pretty things. You can make a beautiful design, but if it is not rooted in strategy, right? If you do not have a framework, if you do not have a roadmap, a foundation to build your, build your house on, it's going to crumble. Yeah. And that is understanding your consumer. What is your consumer buying? What are they putting in their cart? What are they driving? Who do they look like? There could be multiple consumer sets. How are we talking to them? How are they mm-hmm. shopping on the shelf? What store are they even in when they're making a decision? Are they online? All of these things. You need to have a roadmap in place that defines your target consumer so that you can yep. speak to them. Now, we will fast forward a little bit because so many brands, you know, they come to it with like, here's who I, I want to be. And it's really, it's not about who you want to be. It's about who your consumer is so that we can talk to them. So from you have to create great design, you need to have the foundation to build it off. And then as we go through that list, you can have the most beautiful design and the best foundation in the world. But if no one knows you exist, you're not going anywhere. So that is like the rest of that line is like, now how do we grow brands to market effectively Right. based on, you know, those first two core principles of knowing your audience and looking good? I mean, all very cool. Uh, Going back to the car thing, like you had me at car because I went, my, my fiance is really into cars and it's to the point where like, if he hear, if he hears a certain room (laughs) Like his whole body, you can see it like it takes him back to being, you know, 12 or 13 in his room watching Knight Rider or whatever it was, you know, with Kit, you know, like the the designs like I don't know if you've listened to. um, Have you do you ever listen to Acquired, that podcast? There's an incredible podcast called Acquired. It's like three hour long discussions about the brand histories. They did LVMH, they did Porsche, they did Costco, they did Walmart. They've done a bunch. Starts literally with like Franz whatever. And, you know, and I mean, problem with the Nazi situation, but that aside, the story of Porsche is incredible. Yeah. And, and the story of these like these car brands, because it is, to your point, it's totally immersive, but it's also totally functional and it's also totally beautiful. 
it smells a certain way. <laughs> it sounds a certain way. You know, it feels a certain way. And, and, and you have basically taken that and you're like, how do I take that and make it a yogurt, a cereal, a dried fruit, a brownie mix, a CBD, you know, gummy, mm-hmm. a dog treat. Um, and that's really cool. I mean, that's like, I think my favorite part maybe of, of my job in yeah. a lot of ways is the product. Um, but I can sit here all day and think about great products, but if there isn't a consumer for them or a market that wants it or a way to distribute it effectively or a price that it makes sense at, none of that makes, well, it, you know, exactly. And when you think about cars, mm-hmm. someone who needs a Subaru might not be the same person who wants the Mercedes. So, and yet Subaru has done such a great job <laughs> on their identity. Exactly. They've just leaned so far into, you know, the like the fun tropes about themselves that now they're just having a great time and they have a great product, you know? Exactly. They're owning it. But that's, yeah. that's you know, to your point, I think, you know, with cars in particular, they bring you back to maybe mm-hmm. your childhood or your teenage years or early 20s, that there's something nostalgic there that you hold mm-hmm. on to in a very warm way. It could be the first car that was handed down from your grandparents. could be yep. the first vehicle you purchased with your own money. could be one yep. that you watched in a TV show that just there's so mm-hmm. much love there. That when you that Mercedes and Dan in real life, yes. he had that Mercedes station wagon. I'm still thinking about it 20 years later. <laughs> but those, those are yeah. the moments that like hearken joy and a positive memory that truthfully, is what we're trying to do with CPG. With all yeah. the brands that we're creating, we want to tug on the heartstrings. We want something that feels either new or fresh and innovative or warm and cozy and mm-hmm. just enjoyable and you can sink yourself right into it or something that's a little bit like risky or challenging. Yeah, That is so much of what we're doing. And then when you look at CPG, it's it's storytelling. It, yeah. it is touch, it's feel, it's smell, it's taste, it's all of those pieces. And of course, not every CPG brand is built for every single person out there. It's right. about knowing who your audience is. So that just made me think of something that I wanted to ask you because I don't know if you saw on LinkedIn, but um, Snackshot, they had like a LinkedIn post where they just had all of these brands that basically look exactly like other brands. Mm-hmm. And then this past weekend, I was in a bookstore and I actually wanted to take a picture of it, but I had nowhere to send it. And I didn't think anyone would care, but there were five memoirs slash autobiographies on like the front table, you know, where all the new books are. And honestly, they all looked exactly the same. Mm. It was a black and white cover with a like kind of hardcore black and white picture of, you know, Brittany or Tupac or, you know, Elon or whoever it is. Right. And then some sort of pink or yellow, like the fonts look the same. And I know that these folks aren't designing them purposely riffing off of something else because they all came up with these designs a year, 18 months ago. I don't know how long, you know, ago, but they're not copying each other. I mean, there are some things that are just like clear, you know, okay, that's a copy. But for the most part, I don't think that anyone in the creative industry is like looking to to not be original, but somehow they end up not being original. And I'm seeing that also with packaging a lot. You see that with sort of, you know, millennial pink and then canary yellow, and then it came into sort of 70s fonts. And 
you see these trends. I'm curious how to how to as a founder or a brand when you're talking to an agency, how to guard against that. Because even George Harrison, right, got plagiarized and he didn't mean to. I mean, way back when, right? So it happens because it's in the zeitgeist. But how do you protect against that, you know, on your team or, you know, for for a brand that's trying to do something new and refresh their identity, let's say? I mean, truthfully, you do the best you can because mm-hmm. there is there's so much noise out there now. I mean, yeah. go back like five, 10 years, having a bold brand on everything was white. Remember? It was like, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, color. We're crazy. We're doing mm-hmm. things that are different. But I think design has become so top of mind for people. Because right. it was small brands. We've seen the boom of the small brand and innovation yep. and trends. There are so many more independent designers out there, and everyone wants to do something that's edgy and new and different. But to your point, even if we were all designing in a vacuum and you said we need to design to, you know, Gen Z who's buying this, 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 and this, and we were all mm-hmm. the new designs, when we come back, they might all look the same because that mm-hmm. thing, that consumer is we're trying to speak to them. Yeah. That being said though. You know, we've we've had situations where, you know, we've done full on like totally different designs than anything else in the market. And sometimes the clients aren't ready for that risk. Right. They need to stay. Sometimes they just need to stick with something that's more comfortable to them and they're not willing to take that jump. Um, yep. And, you know, this was I kind of mentioned this before. You know, I, I wrote an article on, you know, your brand is not your baby. It should right. be 50 percent your DNA. Because truthfully, you need to understand who your consumer is and, and speak to them or do something different. It's. Sh- as the brand owner, you know, be ready to take a risk, even though it might not be your personal taste. It should be a reflection of you at the end of the day, because you're the one that's selling it, but it shouldn't be, again, you know, only what you personally like. Because if you base it on what you personally like, you might be missing a whole audience to differentiate yourself. And you might just look, end up looking more of the same than somebody else. On the flip side, you know, we've got brands that we've been designing for, for eight years based on brand strategy, Mm -hmm. you know, and everything we do is based off a formula (laughs) of font placement, you know, elements, the whole thing. So when we come up with a new product, it's based on that formula and it works. I mean, I kind of like that. I mean, I do too. However, uh, people start to see that formula, they replicate it. So you come up with something new, all of a sudden you look like somebody else. (laughs) It's like, oh, our formula... (laughs) Right. No, that's really funny. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, you know, we have a new line coming out in Q1 and it's shelf stable and it's a different product and, but it is also in a pouch and, you know, it was, it was just a really fun task for us to differentiate it enough so that people didn't get confused and the stores didn't get confused where to put it, et cetera, but have it, have this through line of like, oh, I know that brand. I trust that brand. This makes sense. You know, right. they, they go well together. There's reason. And I can, yeah. You want, you don't want to totally get rid of any of your equity. You want to maintain that equity of what you've built right. your brand on. But I think to your point too, it's shelf space. This was another like things that we do internally, other than, you know, if we've got two similar products, we have completely different teams working on them that actually don't intersect with each other, mm. which is always interesting. <laughs> okay. Wait, tell me about that. Yeah. So depending upon, you know, different projects, we will have completely separate teams like different wow. creative directors or different design directors, different creatives. And what we do is we put it on the shelf. We put it up against all the other competition that they're going to be against. And uh-huh. we step back and we look at it. 
We say, okay, are we stepping, are we jumping off the shelf? Are we fading back? Are we in the shadows? Is our type popping? And then Mm -hmm. and that's a great way to look at your competitors too and being like, ooh, that brand is doing a great job because everyone else is dark. They're the only light brand. There's Mm -hmm. something there. How can we, you know, how can we work with this? Or, you know, it's when you step back and you look at a whole shelf set and you put your product in there. Is your copy, is your brand popping? Are you still maintaining that equity, especially mm-hmm. if you're shifting in different shelf spaces across the market with new innovation? Right. Those are always things to keep in mind. But yeah, it's doing your due diligence. That's really what so it comes down to. Don't design right. in a vacuum and then just put it out there and assume it'll be fine. No, you've got you've to do the work and see who else, your neighbors, your cross sections, your verticals, your shelf space, all of it. Yeah, no, that's so cool. I want to go back to something you said too at the beginning and then we'll take a break after it. But the consumer persona mm-hmm. profiles, I am confused by these and I'll tell you why and then you can tell me why I shouldn't be. So to me, what is what is the, the, the number one sort of overarching shift since digitally native brands kind of entered into the space is this cross-channel behavior among consumers that, you know, we, I had a podcast about Walmart a couple weeks ago, you know, they are doing a phenomenal job bringing in innovation at good margins for the brands. Some of the natural channel stores where they used to be innovation sort of, you know, just machines they're taking a longer time to put things on shelf. They're making it a little bit prohibitively expensive. And the consumer who only used to shop, let's say, at Whole Foods, now because of the economy and because of you know everything going on socially, et cetera, like in their feeds, they're now going to Costco, Walmart, Target, Whole Foods, and Air One, all nec- like within a month. Mm-hmm. And so there's this kind of cross-channel behavior, again, you know, again, with food, but I think also in general because of the internet. So, you know, they'll buy a really expensive lip gloss. They'll spend on a really expensive face serum, but they're only buying vintage handbags and they only buy their pants at Zara. <laughs> you know, I mean, and so uh-huh. I can our I guess my very long-winded question is does the consumer profile where it used to be this is, you know, Shelly, she's a young mom, she this is where she shops and this is the book she reads and this is the radio she listens to and these are the publications she buys. Does that still work? Yes and no. Okay. So I think it's good to define like who you see your ideal target as, your, your ideal consumer. But also, I shop differently at Walmart than I do at Costco, than I do mm-hmm. at Whole Foods. I'm a different person in each one of those stores. Right. And it's not, I mean, I'm, I'm still that, I'm still that mm-hmm. Shelly. Those are all the things that I love and I aspire to. I don't know anyone named Shelly, by the way. I just... <laughs> We're going with it. Went with it. Yeah. Okay. And you know, that's, that's, who, that's like my ideal 
what mm-hmm. I aspire to. But when I'm in when I'm in Walmart, I'm definitely going to have a different shopping experience because of how the store is set up and mm-hmm. what I'm being bombarded with, and maybe how fast I want to get in and out of that store and mm-hmm. how quickly I want my my buying decision to be versus right. maybe an Air One. I'm going to probably take a little bit longer and look at everything because it's like eye candy, and I'm right. not looking to get in and out as quickly, and I might stay for a smoothie. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very different emotional mindset. So yes, we do need to look at our you know who our our audiences, but we also need to think about emotionally who they are in that channel specifically right. when they're buying. And does that mean that one design can do everything? Maybe. It absolutely can. You just have to look at it in each one of those stores mm-hmm. and put yourself in the emotional state of the person in that shopping experience, in that cross channel. What is their behavior and how yeah. are they going to be buying the product? Because that's what we need to think through. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. We're going to take a little break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about your whole, the whole linear process. We'll be right back. Hi, listeners. We wanted to let you know that Heritage Radio Network's Julia Child Fellowship application is now open. The fellowship offers an enriching experience for aspiring food writers and journalists who share our passion for food systems change. The fellowship is a great way to progress in the field of food journalism and digital media and will start in early January 2024. This fellowship will provide participants with hands-on experience, mentorship, and access to an extensive network of industry professionals. The application deadline is November 27, 2023. Check out heritageradionetwork.org and click on the Julia Child Foundation Writing Fellowship link to learn more. If you or someone you know has interest in food studies and journalism, this might be a great fit. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and check out the application today. Thank you. I'm back with Taja Dockendorf from Pulp and Wire. Okay. So discover. Um, that's when you sit down, you, the, you know, you start the conversation with the brand. It's who are you? What do you make? What, you know, who do you serve? Who is competing with you? What kind of market is there? Those consumer personas that we talked about. Is there anything else sort of in that discovery chunk that you that you really love about the discovery chunk? Oh, I, I love the discovery. It's like kind of those first few dates where you're really just getting to know someone. Um, mm-hmm. It's a lot of Q&A, mm-hmm. uh, conversation, casual conversation. It's, it's honestly in those early stages of discovery, it's getting to know the, the brand and who you're working with. And maybe it's a whole team of other agencies you're working with. Mm. Maybe it's the owner. But no matter what it is, you have to have, um, you know, there has to be some synergy. There. Right. So that's always my favorite part is, all right, let's, you know, elbows on the table, everyone around, bring in the whole team. I'm a huge advocate for that. My whole team comes in because we all want to get to know this right. Friend. The essence. The essence of them, right? You want to sit in the car. Yeah. Let's all get in the yeah. bus. Everyone in the yeah. car. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So Feel it and smell it. Yeah. Yeah. And know that we're on the same team and we're all here and we're going to put, we're going to ask hard questions. We're going to ask easy questions. At some point in the process, things are going to go great. At some point in the process, they might go sideways. So mm-hmm. we want to know early on, especially in that discovery, that we are you know, we're turning over every stone. We're asking all of our questions because through the process, we're going to have to make assumptions. The client's right. going to have to trust. We do not have, you know, the exact right answer, but we're going to try really damn hard to make it perfect. And data helps too, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So data like, you know, spins data or, you know, how many Any millennials kind of there are that are buying gold 
Yeah, I mean, bottles if they or have whatever. sales yeah. data that we can pull on, that's great. Sales data, right. If they're willing, if they've like maybe they went through a rebrand or something didn't work. I mean, we can do a cross comparison, this versus that. Mm-hmm. There's there's things that we can do, and then it's also talking about well, how do we want to verify the success of what we're going to do, and what right. kind of data do we want to pull early on before we launch it to the public, so we can really see a bit more in a vacuum what's working and what's not working. I feel like there are very few design or brand agencies that say, here's how we're going to figure out if we're successful or not. I think that is a really cool thing to do because mostly, you know, everyone is in love until they are not. And, you know, I had Jolene from the Working Assembly on because I am in love with my, you know, her and her team. Mm -hmm. And it was, we had... We had some like, you know, challenges, you know, and when we were doing the refresh, um, when we closed the cooking school and just, you know, exclusively focused on CPG. I mean, there were moments where I was like, I don't like anything and no one's listening. And, you know, they were like, you've changed your mind 17 times last week. You said you like this this week, you know, like you, we were almost like a farce of like, their side and our side, you know, but, but because we come together, I mean, this, yeah. this is a huge thing, right. That you're just, you're saying right there too, because so it's so easy for some people just to throw in the towel and this does happen. This is why discovery and relationship is so important up front. Right. Is that sometimes in the first round, if you don't see what was in your head, even mm-hmm. if you think you've clearly communicated it, you might mm-hmm. not have. Some some brands are willing to be like, I don't like anything. We're done. I'm moving on. It's like, oh no, 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 <laughs> that's not... Right. That's not the right way to do it. We need feedback. We need to talk to each other. There might be 17 rounds. There might be two rounds. We go for two rounds. We plan for 17. Yeah. But that is part of the process too. And that's part of working with people in communication. And and honestly, for a lot of people learning to articulate what is in your head and what you like and what you're, what you're, how far you're willing to go outside of what you like also to be successful. I think in general, founders, this is a weak spot for a lot of us. I mean, you know, I realized I've been doing this now for, you know, 11 years or whatever it is, first at the cooking school and then in the current iteration. And I remember being frustrated that people couldn't read my mind. I mean, it sounds so stupid and I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I remember the feeling of like, how come they just don't know what I'm going to like, you know? And I look back and I'm like, well, you know, I remember a conversation with Courtney that I had years ago when I was complaining about something on the website and I kept saying, it's just not dynamic enough. And she was like, what, what do you mean by dynamic? Use another word other than dynamic. And I'm like, it's just not dynamic enough. And she was like, okay, is, can we, okay, what would you, what would be dynamic to you? Like, and it was this, and it was a struggle, but Mm -hmm. eventually I learned to say, I need more motion. I need more color. I need more, you know, less white space. I need, you know, something that takes your eye and makes, and makes, gives you a sense of surprise. Like, you know, cause, cause people can't read your mind. And, And I think founders, a lot of the time, that's and we get frustrated and then the team feels discouraged and then especially if it's one step removed like a service provider or an agency because to your point they haven't built the trust and the foundation of knowing like okay she's getting a little bit like haughty at the moment but we know how to get her back to 
whatever. And on the founder, the brand side, knowing that they care a lot about getting it right. They haven't just thrown some shit in a deck for you to look at. And, but at the same time, you're not going to like wound them by giving them criticism or feedback because they need that to go shape what they're doing. And all of that requires a, a foundation of, of, of trust. Yeah. And, and honestly, yeah. I think that's my favorite part of the process, which might be really sick of me to <laughs> like really love that. Like when to work through the solution, I love working. I love figuring out a messed up puzzle. So it's mm. like when the brand founder is like, to your point, I want it to be more dynamic. Like that's when right. the team usually everyone gets quiet. And they're like, just let Tasha handle it. <laughs> I'm like, mm-hmm. I got this. I'm, I'm in. Tag me, tap me in. I'm, I'm going in. Right. Um, <laughs> it's, it, and it's because it's like, well, it's, do you need something that's less static? Do you need something to move? So it's really, it's helping you unpack that, that one word right. that you need help articulating. And it yeah. is, it's being able to take a step back personally. I'm not offended if you don't like the design. My mm-hmm. team's not offended. We just want to figure out how to make it better. And the mm-hmm. best way for us to make it better is to start asking questions and being direct. And now some people don't like that, but our goal is if we're going to, and we're going to be direct in a very loving way, but it's like, okay, let's talk about it. We're not just going to say, all right, we'll try some new things and get back to you because that's not going to help anyone move forward. We need to right. have a conversation to understand, all right, dynamic, what does that mean to you? How are we going to figure it out? What's the path forward? Yeah. That, I mean, and it's interesting, right? Because my guess is that like all other things, the people that are super creative aren't necessarily going to be the same people all the time that are able to have that conversation. Correct. It's tough. So yeah, you really need to be sort of, again, working with both your, both, both parts of you. Well, I like to think that's my industrial organizational psychology side of my father, like saying, all right, we're going to unpack this. It's going to be a little bit of therapy. It might be a little uncomfortable at first, but when we come out of it, we're both going to be feeling great. (laughs) Yeah. And and I think a lot of it is just say what you say, what it is that you're trying to say, because a lot of it is like dancing around because people don't want, you know, to say something wrong or to hurt anyone's feelings, or they know that this is their work and they don't want to offend it in any way, you know, but what ends up happening is that the elephant just gets bigger and bigger and bigger in the room. Well, and we tie money to it too, and that makes it even right. worse. And now you're, you don't feel like you're being heard and you've got this investment mm-hmm. and you're ready to throw in the towel. And you know, it's horrible when a brand decides they don't like the first look and they've paid all this money and they throw in the towel and they go to another agency. Mm. It's horrible for the next agency. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And we've, yeah, we've yeah. been the second girlfriend a lot. Yeah. Um, and it, the conversation usually goes, I've just been, I've been burned. Money. I've been yeah. burned. I need to trust again, but now I need to do it for cheap and fast. It's like, yeah. oh, <laughs> I think I had that exact conversation with a web developer once. I know. And, you know, but I also said, you know, the, the clearer that we can get, going back to your point, the clearer that we can get on what does success actually look like, what, what, what do you hand over that we feel really great about? And I mean, what happens? Have you had a design, a package, let's say, that you've made for a brand and it's gone on shelf and you thought it was going to be catchy and great and lovely and it hasn't really worked? Has that happened? Yeah, I think it's happened to everyone. And I think in, in our case, when it's happened, it's been more iterative shifts. We, saw, we need, in some cases, sometimes you just need to get it out to market. Done mm-hmm. is better than perfect in some cases, because mm-hmm. you need those learnings. And maybe it's a small investment. Maybe it's a trial run. Maybe we're doing it just for one market as a test. Mm-hmm. You got it. You sometimes you got to get it out there and find out. 
And then when we came, when it comes back, it's like, oh no, we need to change this, this, and this. There was a right. design we did recently and it looked beautiful on the shelf. Like three of the SKUs, two of them like kind of like fell to the back due to some printing and color issues. Mm. So it's like, okay, I know exactly what we need to fix. It was just, it was a smaller first run and that's, you know, invest small amounts up front. Right. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can't if you're us because pouches are absurd, but everyone else in the world can. Well, I mean, honestly, you, can, you just like, live in like the, the worst it's great from a sustainability perspective, but I mean, you would throw up if you heard our MOQs and our lead time. Oh, I bet. And that's <laughs> I will, so tough. I will not say it on air, but it's it's not, it's rough. So we have to be like, all right, all right, people, this has got to last us like two and a half years, folks. Like, you know, speak now or forever hold your peace. And to your point with that, I mean, I think we made those mistakes very early on in the agency mm-hmm. because we've learned every single step of the way, which is why we, you know, Data is so important, and it's why looking at the shelf space is so important. It's why looking at your consumer and having a strong roadmap and messaging and understanding how the world of your packaging is going to come to life. Your, mm-hmm. your packaging, as lovely as it is, is not your brand. It is a part of the meal. Right, <laughs> the, right. The brand is the world in which your packaging lives in. That's social media. That's your website. That's collateral. That's you being at trade shows. It's how you're out there representing the brand in demos. That is, that's the world uh, and, and, you know, we make those learnings along the way of being like, all right, well, here's what the packaging is going to look like, but here's how the world is going to support the brand to be successful. Yeah. You should make like a graphic of like uh, the planet, you know, <laughs> and it's like planet, like planet brand. And then all of those different things are like different countries yeah. and they, you know, they're like oceans that are going in between. Speaking of, um, what, what do you think makes great merch? You know, I feel like if there's one more tote bag or, you know, T-shirt that is an inside joke that no one else gets except like the three people that worked on it. Like, you know, I mean, what what is what do you think is out there that makes people quality (laughs) quality quality i i mean i look back at every single expo east expo west fancy food show everything that Mm -hmm. i've been to and i think about what i bring home to my kids and what they actually want Mm -hmm. Uh, so when i go to the shows i mean yeah i'm really i would probably be my husband would divorce me if i brought back another recyclable tote however i have one bag i got at expo west and it's a dark green and if you've been at the show you've seen it you maybe you've got one at east or something along those lines but it's dark green it has bright neon green type on it and the best straps i have ever seen they're kind of like thick ribbon Mm. straps and Mm -hmm. it has a short strap and a long one i would have paid money for this tote and it's canvas and it's Mm. huge i have used this thing more times with travel for my son's you know lacrosse and college college and everything else i love this tote with the brand on it it's got the brand on it but it's really kind of cool it's a bold brand it doesn't Mm -hmm. it doesn't have like a logo shoved on the front it's kind of like this big messaging and these big letters Mm. it was beautifully done because it's creative it doesn't mm-hmm. scream who the brand is unless you really right. dive into what it's looking like. It is beautiful quality. And yeah. I love the colors. I'm like, well, I am your target audience for this bag. All I want really is like such a steep discount at L.L. Bean that we can, we have this this big L.L. Bean, you know, boat tote mm-hmm. in our office that just says sauce <laughs> on it. And I, I'm like, people- I'd buy that. Oh, oh my <laughs> gosh, totally. And like- and I'm like, how do we give these away at Expo West without literally losing mm-hmm. thousands upon thousands of dollars? But then we do have, we have this Cook Happy sweatshirt and it's like a beautiful green champion 
And people wear it. I mean, we've seen it in magazines that we didn't have anything to do with. We get zero credit. No one knows it's from Haven's Kitchen. You know, arguably, I don't know that it's doing all that much to support the brand, but it does make us feel good that it's it it's out there. Someone right. wants it, you know. Our cool hoodie that says sauce or saucy on it would be right. amazing. It could, and it doesn't always have to be a direct correlation back to the brand, but people are going to, it's going to catch people's attention and then they're right. going to figure it out. They will figure out where that came from. Yeah. Or it's a small logo at the back of the neck that mm-hmm. the brand is. Um, but yeah, from a merch standpoint, I mean, my kids are, you know, a freshman and a, a junior in high school. They love stickers. And, mm-hmm. and cool stickers, not stickers I love with stickers the brand too. name on it. Mm-hmm. I brought back some really cool ones for them from the last show. And I just mm-hmm. lay them out on the table. I'm like, all right, pick what you want because they come with yeah. their laptops with them for school. Yes, totally. Totally. That's adorable. Yeah, we have good ones coming up yeah. for this next so, thing. So truthfully, I actually and they're the cheapest thing to do for me. Yes, yeah. they're better than pins. The pins are the pins are tough. Yeah. Um Okay, I want to talk a little specifically because I love the case studies going back to your amazing website. And I love, I think you and I both share a deep love for Bob's Red Mill. <laughs> I, I'm always like, how do we just become the Bob's Red Mill of, you know, seasoning and flavoring and condiments and sauce? Like they've got baking. I want cooking. How do we do it? Um, they, they don't, they come to you. They have their own big internal team. Why why would a Bob's Red Mill with an internal team come to you? And then what does it look like when a team like that engages with you as opposed to a me where you're my only, you know, person? <laughs> so I, I will start by saying, you know, all that love and warmth you have for Bob's Red Mill? Mm-hmm. They are that way inside and out of that company. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. And, I mean, their marketing team, everyone, they all are, I mean, honestly, some of my favorites. They are the, they are so wonderful to work yeah. with and so warm and so easy. And their feedback is great. I and mean, they are a dream. They are an absolute dream. Aww. So so honestly, when you have those dreams, you'll bend over backwards to do whatever they need sometimes. You're like, we got you. We can, we can move that faster. We can do that faster because we know how they're going to work. And they have an amazing internal team. And, and I, even from their website, I think you've seen, like, they don't even sell online anymore. They're just pushing recipes and they push everyone to the stores. They don't even I know, but that's, that, and that, but that's why it's exactly like a model for us, yeah. right? Because we can't really sell online, I mean, at least currently. And, and we, but you can and yet, buy it on Amazon, push them to Amazon. I mean, totally. That's what we're, you know, with the shelf stable for sure. And it's interesting, right? Because they, we, you know, when, when we sort of were like, okay, we want to not just be, if our mission is to help home cooks, sure. Part of it is helping home cooks with products, but we also really want to help home cooks with recipes and tips for storing and how to buy a knife. And that's not just selling product. That is actually part of who we are and part of the mission. Yeah. That's being in the world with that consumer and giving them more than just a product. You're helping them like with their life. With their (laughs) life. Right. And so Bob's Red Mill does an incredible job. That is, I know a lot of people that whether they're buying their flour or their gluten-free whatever mix or not, that is where they go to figure out how to make an apple pie. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. You know, it's, it's so cool. They own that. And they're, you know, I can't think of any other company. Yeah. Well, and, and to go back to the process, you know, for them, you know, they've got an amazing team, but I mean, their team gets swamped too and their team needs support, or maybe they've been working through a project and another project just got brought in and they need help pushing the other one across the finish line. That's where, you know, a lot of these big companies who do have internal marketing and design, you know, features will come to us and be like, can you help? And it's like, absolutely. Let's do some initial designs. Let's get them into testing. Let's see how everyone feels. And we kind of help them seed creativity, give them fresh ideas to help get them going in the right direction. And then they can put them into testing maybe with some of their own designs. So we really come in as a partner for them. And do they have to come in with like a very clear mandate? Like, hey, we're launching these two SKUs. We need fresh packaging. Go. Well, in this case, they're very clear with what their creative brief is. It's like, yep, it's a, it's a mix it's this, it's this, it's this, you know, we will pull together vision boards and ways in based on, you know, where we think they want to go and right. after conversation. So yes, it's very specific, um, which is nice too. And it helps us to move very quickly for them. So what makes a good creative brief? Because I feel like everyone should be able to present a good creative brief. And I've never done that. Well, I think it comes down to discovery, right? That's that first phase again. So let's say mm-hmm. you are looking for a new agency to do creative for you. Mm-hmm. Put your thoughts down. That creative brief could be, here's my objective, here's where I see the company in two years, here's this. Here's what I'm looking for out of a new brand, here's what I would hope to see, you know, here are some competitors that I'm going to be next to on the shelf, and here's maybe a couple of brands that even aren't you know, on the shelf next to you that you admire, and why. So honestly, it's just it's being honest with what you, you personally like, but then also, again, it's not always about you personally, thinking about who you're going to be next to on the shelf so that whoever's doing the design can understand those pieces. Because again, we can't read your mind. So the more you can give us, the better, because that will then help us asking more questions to help unpack the, the world in which you need to explore to be successful. And then that's, I mean, that's awesome. And I actually just took down that whole thing and I'm like, everything we do is going to be in a brief form from now on. And so website, Mm. going to the design part of the linear graphic, what, where do brands go wrong? Where do brands go right? And why don't web developers tell you how much it's going to be to maintain their amazing (laughs) designs six months later. And, and, you know, and we were like, make it easy for us to add recipes, make it easy for us to add tags, make it easy, make it easy, make it easy. And they're like, totally, totally, totally. And it's not ever like, why is that? So make sure you have a functional spec, a functional specification right up front. So again, let's go back to discovery mm-hmm. <laughs> all the way back. Um, because you want to outline what some of those key features are that maybe you think you want. And again, look at other websites. Do you, do you want subscriptions? Do you want you know reviews? Do you want a star system? Because each one of these things that you're asking for, especially if you're using Shopify, might be a third-party app unless you're having mm-hmm. someone builds a custom solution for you. Mm-hmm. So or headless, right? Yeah, or headless. Right. So, but, <laughs> but again, that's going to be harder to maintain too. So it's it's fi- mm-hmm. figuring out all the little bells and whistles. Because you can have a beautiful site that hit on all those things and it launches and you're working with it, but you're getting in there and you want to change a photo or you want to change something else mm-hmm. that's maybe hard-coded in. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that wasn't meant to be a piece that you would switch out. So now it's, you know, you got to get the programmer back in there. 
of course, everyone wants the full autonomy of their site to be able to do whatever they want. But you also want a beautiful site that does all these things and has all these functions and moves and is dynamic. Well, that doesn't mean you're going to be able to edit every single part. Mm -hmm. Because you got to give up the ghost a little bit here, too. Yeah. No, that makes sense. But then also, you know, we've got clients, a beautiful website. And they're like, I just loaded three apps and I hit the update button. We're like, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. I'm like, did you take a backup? No, of course you didn't. Great. Right. And oh my gosh. Yeah. So those things happen too. So I honestly, it's conversation and, you know, working with the programmer being like, all right, how about a quarterly plan in which, or monthly, as you just launch the site and be like, let's look at it. Let's sit down. Let's look at it monthly. I'm going to come to you with the things that I want to update or what I'm seeing and just have a mm-hmm. session versus like reactionary one-off. Yeah. That yep. the more organized you can be, the better. Oh, I love that. It's, you know, proactive, not reactive. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, we love live it. in a world that it is so easy to be reactive and it's mm-hmm. better sometimes just to blow it out. Mm-hmm. The more proactive you can be and plan and be like, oh, you know what? I've got a meeting in a week. Oh, this is bothering me. Let me just jot it down. Mm-hmm, and then, mm-hmm. then you can have a much more rational conversation with your programmer and they're not going to freak out because you're asking for eight different things and you switched out three apps so that you can continue to build on the website and do it in a proper way. Yeah, no, I think that's amazing. Okay. One more question before our quick fire. Oh, cool. Which I'm starting to think I might want to do just as a thing, but we'll <laughs> see. Okay. So Dr. Prager. So now another thing on your website, Dr. Prager's, I love, you know, they're an established brand. They made these veggie burgers, I think maybe in the seventies or whatever. Now, all of a sudden they're like back in, you know, they've come around in a way, you know, I always say like, if you're old enough and you, you wear jeans, they'll be cool in the 20 years, just (laughs) hold on to them because that's the cycle. So it, it seems like what the mandate for you was, okay, people are buying this. They're into this category again. The brand has real steam. The social doesn't quite match the universe Mm -hmm. of the brand. Um, was that the mandate? So in, so actually it's kind of reversed. So we, I know. So when we, we worked with them, we have not worked, I mean, full transparency. We have not worked with them for about a year or so now, Mm -hmm. maybe a year and a half. We were brought in to elevate their social media. So mm-hmm. because the packaging was a little bit antiquated and dated, mm-hmm. um, but they wanted to reach a broader audience, we wanted to be on TikTok, we wanted to look at new channels, but we wanted to make it look yummy because maybe the packaging made it look a little dusty and dry and we weren't mm-hmm. being, they weren't ready to redo the brand. They weren't ready to right. redo the packaging. So in this case, this is actually a great example where we were brought in just for social and digital and to mm. make it look yummy and fun and engaging and youthful and so we really focused on bright punchy delicious burgers you know family time just fun things with the play with your food a little bit but do it mm-hmm. in a natural way that brought Dr. Prager's back into the awareness of people who maybe were passing them over for more modern looking brands okay so then did they decide to my catch up understanding the- is mm-hmm. that they've been doing a rebrand. Okay. All I right. have not well, seen it. And we are not the ones doing it, but. Okay. Well, I'll find out. <laughs> find out. Okay. Yes. I'm, I'm <laughs> curious too. I'm curious to dig around. But basically you're the reason they're cool again. And we can take that away from this conversation. I will take that credit. Okay. <laughs> I'm comfortable with that too. <laughs> My digital okay. team will happily take that credit. All right. Great. Um, how many people are on your team, by the way? There's 20 of us. Okay. And it's divided into digital Every, packaging. Everything from strategy, messaging, copywriting, 
brand packaging, web programmers, and digital. They're all in-house. Wow, that's amazing. Um, okay, quick fire. So I don't know exactly. I was at first I was like one word Ooh. response to, and I think that's not good. So I'm not gonna limit you to words, but it is a quick fire. I'll, I'm gonna try for one word. Let's see how I do it. Okay. And I have a feeling that this is going to be fun. Okay. So I'm going to say a word or a phrase and you're going to respond. Ready? Okay. Okay. CPG. Brand. Naming. Horrible. (laughs) Strategy. Love it. Market research. Important. Copywriting. Very important. Logo design. Hmm. Keep it big. (laughs) Cool. Packaging. Part of the meal. Ooh, good one. Growth. Ooh. I'm like sitting here like, oh, (laughs) growth. You know, that's it's that takes time. Right. Ooh, good. I like that answer. Social media. Ugh. 2023. 24 is going to be better. 2024. Let's go. <laughs> that was fun. Was that fun? That was Did great. Did you enjoy that? I, I, okay. sh- I should go back to my, oh, with social media. I like the, oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have it. That's. I'm in my fun. 40s, full disclosure. Yeah. My kids are teenagers. And we, and you know, my team is amazing on the digital front. It's everything from TikTok mm-hmm. and Instagram. It's not as much Facebook. And, you know, mm-hmm. and then what are we using? How are people engaging? What's necessary? Influencers. I can't believe how much money we spend on influencers still. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, my kids, I look at them and how they use social media, and it just makes me laugh. And I come back to the team. I'm like, so, guys, Snapchat. Okay. Right. Um, yeah. Because they don't, if you're talking to Gen Z or Alpha, mostly Alpha, I guess at this point. Right. I'm like, they don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I talk about Instagram. They're like, gross. They're like, we don't. Right. Yeah. I know. We it's share so other funny. people's weird memes that we find and like cultural yeah. events. And they're like, and that's it. And they don't yeah. post anything on their own. And they, yeah. they hate being sold to. Yeah. And they're having direct conversations in Snapchat. Yep. It's, yep. I'm like, well, here's the future. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. Um, okay. Well, Taja, I can't thank you enough. This was so much fun. I took a bunch of notes, not only just about the podcast, but just things that you're making me think of that I'm probably going to call you next week and want to talk to you about. I love it. And I just want to thank you for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. This was awesome. I'm so glad you love our old website because honestly, it's the cobbler's kids don't have shoes mentality here because so much of that work is old and so much of our current work from the last three years isn't even on there. So I'm, I'm, my goal is to wow you with the next iteration of it. Okay. I mean, I'm taking screenshots of this one. Just I mean, you can always so you use know. the Wayback Machine. I mean, it still works. Have you ever used it? It does? Oh, yeah. No? Is that a thing? Yeah, it's called the Wayback Machine. It might be .net. <laughs> you put it in there, you put it in a website, and you can put in the date, and you can actually go <gasps> back and see each iteration of that website through time. Oh, my yeah. gosh. So enjoy that rabbit hole. Yeah, that's <laughs> incredible. Um, Armin? No, it's Liam. It's Liam today. Liam had jury duty, but now he's back. So Liam, thank you for engineering the show today. And, um, you know, thank you for doing your civic duty as a New Yorker. And um, 
everyone listening, I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.